Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Matt Laracy with AmeriCorp Limited in Chicago, Illinois. Last year, he closed 260 transactions with a total sales volume of $104 million. His average sales price was $404,000, of which 60% were buyers and 40% were sellers. He has a six-member team, three sales agents, one administrative assistant, one marketing assistant, and one team leader. Matt Laracy is the team leader of the Matt Laracy Group. He's been an agent for 10 years and works the downtown Chicago market. In this call, Matt talks about only selling two homes his first full year in real estate, sleeping on his parents' couch and begging his dad for gas money to get started. Why switching market focus opened the doors to a whole new future. Building the foundation of success with passion, education, and determination. Predicting internet marketing trends and getting in early. Buying Zillow and Trulia zip codes in the early days. Answering buyer and seller questions online and receiving a stream of leads. How he got 550 agent reviews and recommendations on the internet that gives him instant credibility. Using high-quality photo and video marketing. Producing neighborhood tour videos to establish his expert status. Why most agents approach lead follow-up the wrong way. Why he hates CRMs and sends personal emails instead. Team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Matt. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, Matt. It's great to have you here. Matt, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. I was in college. Pretty much my entire life, I've always wanted to get into real estate. So uh, I actually got my real estate license before I even um, graduated college. So it was like my lifelong dream was to become a realtor since I was pretty much ever since I can remember. Why did you always want to be a realtor? So I'm a third generation realtor. So my grandpa uh, was in real estate. My father owns a company that I work for. And I guess I just literally some of the first memories I have in life was going to my old man's office and kind of like sitting in there. And when I was a kid, I used to fill out the old, you know, the old MLS books because back in the day they had the books that you'd write it in. Um, (laughs) And every career, yeah, every career day, everything I ever did, I always say I wanted to be uh, in real estate. And I remember my teachers would make fun of me saying, that's not really a career you want to aspire to do. And I always said that I'm going to make real estate cool. And I just couldn't wait to get into it. So it was it's not something I fell into. It's not something I, I failed at something else. I thought real estate be cool. It's literally been a lifelong dream since, uh, since the beginning of time for me. Did your father, did he train you as a, as a youth up through the program? Or were you just kind of watching and mentoring him by just watching what he was doing because you were there? 
I wouldn't say he coached me at all. You know, I, I just kind of watched him from a distance, I would say, more or less. I just was always attracted to real estate, and I guess maybe just because, you know, it's a lot of stuff of what he talked about. Um, and, you know, it, it, when I got into the business officially, I kind of, you know, bombarded him more with questions, but not really as much when I was growing up. What did you get your degree in? Did you get a degree in real estate? No, I mean, technically colleges don't offer something like that. I, I got a, a degree in something called corporate communications with a business admin minor. And pretty much it allowed me to, I guess I should say the cool thing about knowing that I was going to be in real estate my entire life is that I always took classes that I thought would better me in my life for real estate. So, you know, when I looked at different majors, you know, obviously your business major is always your ideal one. And that like a business admin is pretty much a basic background in business. And I started off in there in the major and I just saw that like most of the classes I couldn't apply to real estate. And there's a, you know, a communications major is not the, the I would say like the, the classes most respected degree you could get it in. But what I did is I went through the classes that they offered. I was like, every single thing here, I can apply back to real estate. So I switched my major halfway through to that. And I already had a minor at that point in regular business. And I, I think it helped me succeed. I would constantly annoy my professor saying like, how does this apply to real estate? And they'd be like, that has nothing to do with what we're trying to teach here. <laughs> but I would, I don't know. I always thought about it. I, I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to like draw my dad's logo on like a, like a coloring book and, you know, be like, we should change the colors this way or things like that. I mean, I was, I guess I kind of always had an eye for marketing. I would rip out magazine covers, and, you know, cool ads I thought and say like how we can apply this to our business. So like everything I've ever done in my entire life, I felt like led me up to get into real estate. You get out of college and you get your license, you had to be pretty young. How old were you when you got that license? I was 21. I was 21. You were 21 when you got that license. So again, pretty young. You popped right into the business. Uh, how'd that first year go? Did you have a fast start or a slow start? Oh, it was awful. It was, it was probably the most depressing year of my life. I got in at the end of 2006. So it, pretty much it was 2007 when I first act. I, I, had my, I was licensed in 06. But by the time I graduated college and everything, because I, I stayed an extra semester, I, I, it was 07 by that time. And that's when you kind of felt the rumblings of the market, because I started out selling on the south side of Chicago. And it was, the market was already kind of falling at that point. You could just sense something was happening in a bad way. And I didn't know any better, you know, because I was just my first year, like, really selling, you know. And I thought, hey, this is this can be easy. My dad was always so successful in this business. I graduate college. I'm like, I, I feel like I know everything, right? Cause I've been around it my whole life. And once I started actively in it, I was like, I know nothing. This is going to be impossible. And I have no clue how I'm going to get business. And, uh, I literally had, I think one, one or two sales my entire first year. Wow, I did not expect to hear that. So let me ask you this. You had your dad there, maybe your grandfather around to, to chat with. Did anybody mentor you? Did your one of your folks, did somebody help you out? Or did they just kind of throw you to the woods and see what would happen? Well, I mean, honestly, my grandpa was long gone. I mean, my, my grandpa died when I was a, like a really, really little kid. So like it was just something we knew that he was in. I remember talking about it, you know. Uh, so he wouldn't have been there for mentor. My father... Um, uh, we're Southside Irish family, you know what I mean? So like, it's, uh, it's, you cut from a different cloth, you know what I mean? It's not like you're like very emotional people or like, uh, you're, you're, you're somebody you can confide in often, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just a little bit different, I should say. So 
I mean, he's there for questions, but I wouldn't say like he was there for like a hundred percent of coaching me as you'd see, like most coaches kind of will, will, will coach people. But I mean, he was there for questions when I had them. So it was more or less kind of like the mentality of like, try to figure it out on your own, you know, like, here's what you should do. Here's some good ideas or here's a direction you should go in. Uh, but you know, that you just got to see what works for you best. And so it was kind of like a, a sink or swim mentality. So I, I realized pretty, pretty early on that the South side of Chicago was just not my cup of tea. It's just not where I wanted to sell. So I, I did that for two years there. And I just, back to the time 2008 hit, I just realized I, this isn't where I wanted to specialize in. I, I kind of, I'm a very passionate, adamant type of person. And I realized a lot of my energy wasn't there. So that's when I kind of made the decision to make a move. Where did you move to then? Where, where'd you move your business to in that second year? Technically, it would have been my third year in uh, of really practicing. And I, I just felt I wanted to take the company downtown Chicago. Um, and my passions with the high rises, the energy, you know, the big buildings, the, you know, the skyscrapers. And I'm like, I, I didn't know anything about the downtown market. To be honest with you, there's all these different areas of downtown. It's like, like a New York or something like that, right? You got Streeterville, Gold Coast, Old Town, River North, you know, all these different areas, different names. To me, it was like a foreign land, you know, because I, I grew up on a different part. Most of that lived downtown grew up on the north side, okay? So I was like, well, I want to learn this downtown market, and I don't know anybody down here, right, at all. Uh, my old man hates, hates, hates downtown. And I was like, listen, you know, I want to make it downtown. What can you, you know, what can you guide me through? Like, I need a couple bucks to get started, too. Because you got to remember, at that point, I'm like 23, okay? And I don't have any other income. It's all commission-based. And I'm blessed enough to have a family where I'm still living at home, right? So I'm like, I'm on the streets. But, uh, you know, my dad's a very hard guy where he's like, hey, listen, you got to go down there and figure it out. And I needed gas money even, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I would have to take, I would literally have to take a loan out from him for gas. He would, he would have a, like a Lincoln log of every time I took money out for gas. Hey, little ledger going. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of, it was kind of bad in that sense that I just didn't know where to go, but I did know that I wanted to make it in the city. So I had the option of maybe moving right to a different company, like a big company and maybe get some sort of mentor there and like have some sort of backing because you got to remember, I didn't have an office down here. I didn't have a presence down here. I didn't know anybody down here. So it's like, well, the easy road would be for me just to be like, Hey, let's uh, join one of these big companies, a nice mentor down here, figure it out and, you know, go from there. But I decided that if, uh, I always said if somebody else can make it, then so can I, you know, that was always my theory. So I'm like, I'm just going to hustle and make it. You know, I'm 23 years old. I don't need any money. And, you know, when you come out of college, you're thinking to yourself, you're, you're on cloud nine, right? You're, you're a young guy, the, you know, the, the world's your oyster, you know, you know, a lot of people are, you know, making tons of money and, you know, we're making nothing. I'm living at home, uh, sleeping on the couch at my parents' place. And <laughs> it was an eye opener, you know, uh, but I, I, I had a, I had a winning attitude, you know, so, uh, I just kind of took it down here and, and hustled. Let's give people some perspective. So how long have you had your license now? 10 years officially licensed because it's, yeah, 2000, yeah, 10 years. And last year, how many homes did you sell? 260 homes last year for a little more than 105 million. Wow. That's, that's a lot different than that slow start and living at home. How many homes do you think you'll sell this year? How many homes have you sold year to date? Year to date, we're technically just around like 200 and something. And uh, I've already done just 
with the last couple of sales that came in, we're, we're hovering around 105 right now, million. So we, we should finish at 150 million. Let's let people know where you're at. So you mentioned you're in Chicago and you're working downtown Chicago. So, so you're not working the entire Metroplex there, the entire metro area of Chicago. Yeah, Chicago's too big of a place to be able to go the whole metropolitan city. I mean, I, I work what I consider downtown, which is anywhere from, from what we call the South Loop up to Lakeview. So Lakeview's where the Cubbies play, okay? And then uh, just west to where we call like West Loop and West Town. So it's, it goes up to a street called Western for somebody that's what's somewhat familiar with it. So it's just kind of like the, the main areas. There's Chicago spreads out much, much further than that north, south, and uh, uh, west, but we only kind of focus on that, that little footprint. When you say downtown, are you working the high-rise condos? Are you working the, the homes that are right near the downtown, the houses? What, what is your inventory? What kind of things are you selling? We, we do uh, everything you just mentioned. I would say I sell more of those high-rises than anything else, though. So if I had to put what, you know, one type of sell, sale that I do more of, I, I sell more high-rises than anything else. Let's have you describe your current real estate market. So my average price point of my sales is probably around five hundred thousand. But that, that's like my bread and butter is anywhere from like three hundred to eight hundred thousand. You know, we do do five, six million dollar sales, and you know, we do do two hundred thousand sales. I mean, I just you know, I always believe in diversifying, right? You know, you diversify your portfolio, and what that means is that in good markets, it's great to be a luxury realtor, right? You know, two, three million, four million dollar buyers are all over the place. But, you know, if anybody's ever studied real estate, these markets go in cycles. So markets get a little soft. So when the market gets soft, luxury buyers kind of hold their money, right? They don't like to buy because they get nervous. So then your business goes way down. So that's why when you ask what's your best year, what's this year, that's why people's years fluctuate so much, right? Ours always stays consistent or upwards because we're always have our hands in so many different pockets that what I've been trying to do is build a recession-proof type of business. So that way we don't have to worry about whether it's a good market or a bad market or something. Because if you're working with first-time buyers, luxury buyers, investors, et cetera, you have a big enough pool, you don't have to worry about that. So that's kind of where we're at, like on an average perspective. If we want to talk about what we would do with, uh, like where our market stands right now, the area of Chicago that I work, because Chicago, again, is large, uh, we're ticking upward. Okay, so I like to say that we're in an upswing market. So prices have been going up and they've been going up rapidly. And we're experiencing what a lot of parts of the country is experiencing, that we don't have enough inventory, but we have a lot of demand. So there's more people looking than there are properties on the market. So if something's priced right, it's going to do what we call a flash sale, right? It's going to sell right away with multiple bids and go over list price. And a lot of different markets are seeing stuff like that. Average days on markets for, for something, you know, typically right now is around like 40-something days. But I like to say if it's, if it's what we would call more of like a hot property, right, it's, it's going to be less than a week. What percentage of your business is high-rise condos? Probably like 60%. Let's talk about the different ways that you're generating leads. So you're working those condos. Are you doing any kind of geographic farming into those condos? Nope. I don't believe in paper advertising. No, no geographic farming at all. I don't believe in it. So my understanding is that the majority of your business is coming from past clients, sphere of influence and referrals, and then you're also getting some business in your internet marketing and your online advertising. Is that correct? 
Well, I would, I would correct you a little bit. I would say right now it's 50-50. 50% new business, meaning it's coming in from cold internet leads and stuff like that, right? And the other 50% is like a combination of referrals, you know, sphere influence, word of mouth, stuff like that. It used to be a lot higher. You know, a couple of years ago, it was like 80-20, like 80% cold new business, you know, and then 20% you know, referral and repeat and stuff like that. Cause you got to remember we had no bit, we had zero, right? So like each year you got to, uh, you know, get from the past, you know? So now it's more towards 50, 50. And, you know, my goal is to always still have a ton of new business and then also work the old business as well. I mean, I think that's every realtor's dream, but yeah, just so we're on the same page, it's about, about 50, 50. Let's talk about that new business first, the new leads that are coming in. Sounds like you're doing a lot of internet work. What are you doing on the internet to generate this lead flow that's coming in? I mean, honestly, I feel like we're, we're, we're innovators, right? So, and, and meaning that like we see opportunities, right? So if, if you can position, people say there's things called luck and there's things that like, you know, like when opportunities present themselves, right? So I feel like I always see things for what they are when they come in and I take advantage of them. Right. So meaning that one of the ways we kind of created this business was, uh, and this will kind of clear up like how we do the internet business is that like when I came downtown Chicago, I, I saw all the billboards of people, right. I saw the, the bus benches and I saw the flyers and the, the, the farmings and, and people's mailboxes. And I was like, all this seems so barbaric to me. Right. It seems like we're so far ahead of this. We're, we're, we're technology and real estate's going it seems like all this type of advertising is behind the times. So at that point in 2008, you know, the internet was really starting to get popular, right? Not that it wasn't popular before, but like you didn't have a lot of the sites that you see today. Like Google wasn't like a, like as big of a dominant force as almost like Yahoo was at that point, you know? Um, So I thought to myself, what can we do to differentiate ourselves? Right? So at that time, there was a few things that happened. First off, uh, I'll never forget. I went on a vacation uh, with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and she, we went to San Diego. She said that she wants Italian food. And I said, who wants Italian food in San Diego, right? Uh, but I'm like, I've never been here, so what am I going to do? I, I, I yahooed something, and this, this, this uh, website called Yelp came up, okay? At that point, Yelp wasn't, like, super popular. It's not like everybody was yelping at that point, okay? And I looked at the top three rated restaurants. I went off the menu I liked the best, and I, thought, I, I had, like, a lighting bolt moment. I said, why are realtors getting reviews, right? Like, think about how many people are moving to Chicago, like downtown aspect, kids going to school, people wanting to buy Pieta Terre or whatever. Why aren't, you know, I would think that if I don't know anybody, right, when not I search and see who's got good reviews? So at that point, I was like, I hope real estate websites start getting reviews. So we would call up some real estate websites. It's like, why aren't you guys having an option for realtors to get reviewed on here? Because I think they're a great way for realtors to get exposure. And if realtors get more exposure, which get, get more leads, right? It would gen- they'll spend more money on your website, which would then in turn make you more money and make the realtor more money. So win-win. So if you saw that, like almost not too far after that, that's when Zillow launched their lead program. At that point, Truly was on its own. They launched their lead thing uh, or their um, review site. So that was a big way of getting past uh, new business was I was starting to get reviewed on these websites, right? And now if you look me up, I have 550 some odd reviews, okay? So uh, I would consider myself one of the most reviewed agents in, in the world if you look on these sites compared to who has the most. And that kind of brings me to Zillow and Trulia too, because I remember in, in 2007-ish, I got a call from these sites and they said they're selling these leads. And I was like, uh, there's a lot of companies at that point that were starting off and there was a lot of little ones that weren't working. So it wasn't Zillow and Trulia were the first ones. They're the first ones that had the best search engine that, that were able to, for people to kind of like really want to search on. And I, 
did a lot of research because remember, I had no business at the time. So I would look up the website and see, okay, if I'm Joe Q and I'm looking for something, which, which website's got the best flow that I would browse on there, right? And I thought Zillow and Trulia had really good stuff. And at that time, Realtor.com was actually the most clicked on website. They weren't selling leads at that point though, okay? So, you know, remember Realtor copied off Zillow and Trulia's model. And I said, I'm going to pump every single dollar I have in buying the zip codes I want on Zillow and Trulia. And I said, I'm either going to sink or swim. I'm going to go bankrupt and go, you know, tuck my tail between my legs and beg my dad for some, some cash so I don't uh, have to face, you know, like a uh, bill foreclosure here with, uh, with all my payments or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock it out of the park. And uh, those websites took off. And, you know, that, that was a big part of our business is that we were literally one of the first people in Chicago to advertise on both. And we were spending a lot, a lot of money and I was crushing it on there. Um, and what else I started doing was that all these, all realtor.com had this, all these other things had it is that they had these things where you could generate, you can, people would ask questions, right. And you could answer them. And I thought, well, Hey, I got nothing better to do. I, I feel like I have a lot of answers cause I do a lot of research, but I'm not in business. So I may as well sit here. And anytime I, you used to be able to get a notification on tr- truly had truly a voice. Zillow had the, the Zillow question for them. Realtor.com used to have a Q and a tab on their website back in the day. Um, so I used to, anytime a question would go on there, anywhere in Chicago, I would answer that. So in an SEO placement, if somebody Googles some sort of question into a Google bar and at that time Yahoo was bigger, they would type it in, my answer would come up, right? So it's more exposure. So that was my goal is to try to get on as many of these sites as possible and then do them right. So like back in the day, I would pump all my money in Zillow and Trillia. I'd say, I'm going to put all my money in there. And once I perfected, I'd buy another zip code for that I would work and I'd pump it all in there. So by the time like 2010 and 11 golden round, I already dominated these sites so much that it was impossible to like knock me out of it, you know? And it, it didn't, you know, those sites didn't become big till like 2013 or 14. And nowadays, if you go on there, it, it, I feel like that's a thing of the past. Like Zillow and Trulia, I, I give them like four or five years, they'll be kind of, they're not going to be what they are today. You know, but at that time we, we were ahead of the curve on it. We saw it. So those are just a couple of the examples of what we use. I mean, I use Yelp a lot as well. And there's, you know, now Realtor.com copied off Zillow and Trulia off doing the leads. And we buy a bunch of those things. So, that's a great service, but it's not as good as it used to be, you know, if that makes any sense. Yeah, 550 reviews. How did you get all those reviews? Easy. I asked for them. That's it. People are afraid. The thing is, if you do a good job, people are going to tell you, hey, great work out there, right? And I always tell people, listen, I did a kick-ass job. You liked me. We had a good time. I got you a great place. You like it. Or I sold it. You, you know, you had a great experience with me. I just need you to tell the world about it, right? Because that's how I get my business, right? Like before you research anything, before you buy anything, you go on Amazon and you're not going to buy that product. You've never seen it without reading reviews. If they have 500 one-star reviews, you know you ain't buying that product, right? Think about Suicide Squad. That's a great example. Suicide Squad looked like the greatest movie of all time. And reviews came out, it got like 20%, right? And then everybody's like, eh, I don't know if I want to see that, right? If I got 100%, everybody and their mother would have went and seen it. So reviews dictate your life nowadays, okay? So I set that expectation up front. Okay. So when I first meet somebody, I say, Hey, listen, I'm going to do a kick-ass job for you. You're going to write me a great review when we're done. And that way we're going to be good to go. During the process, at some point I drop it a couple of times. Like, Hey, don't forget. Yeah. Well, once you write a review, it'll be great. After the closing, I send them a reminder. Say like, Hey, don't forget. Here's some links to my reviews. Make sure you send, write me a review on some sites, et cetera. If they don't review me, I have a running tally of everybody I close with that have never given me a review. There's, there's, there's only like 20 people total I've ever worked with that don't, haven't written me one. Okay. So I follow up with them every quarter. Be like, hey, Scott's write that review. I know you had a good experience. I know it's a pain in the ass to do it, but just two minutes. That's all I'm asking. Two minutes of your time. 
So that's kind of how I'm so successful with getting reviews. And people write paragraphs. I mean, it's just, I, I, I say don't even bother leaving one if it's two sentences. I don't even want it. You know, I want paragraphs. You know, people got to know. Otherwise, it looks like fake because nowadays there's a lot of realtors that are paying money to people in China and India to write these fake reviews. I mean, if you're a big realtor, you probably get at least one email a week if somebody will write fake reviews for you. And you can spot those about a mile. Like go on people's – there's some big agents out there that have profiles. You can read their, their uh, profiles and they got like, you know, 100 of these one-liners. So do you coach them a little bit about what to say? Do you, do you tell them the type of th- review that they should give or the type of language they should use or that they should use a story rather than just generic statements? Uh, how, do you, how did you coach them a little bit on what they should put in there? No, not at all. Say whatever you feel. Just say whatever you feel. Just make it a paragraph. Y- yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't even say like make it a paragraph. It's just kind of like, you know, I expect you to write something nice. You know what I mean? Like, well, I shouldn't say I respect to write some nice, but like, I respect it to be like, or I expect it to be like, you know, decent length here. Cause like, like they know, most people who write reviews also know what they don't like to see in a review. You know what I mean? It, 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 we're so embedded in reviews nowadays. You go on TripAdvisor, you got Yelp, you know, you got every real estate website in the world. You got Amazon, I mean, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, all these, everything is so review based nowadays. I feel like most people know what they're supposed to write. You know what I mean? It's kind of like intuitive nowadays. Like you just know that if you like your experience, you're going to have to write something good about it. It's not just like, hey, I like Matt. It seemed personal and answered my emails. You know, but they would know that that's not like an expectation for a review. I would think with 500 reviews that statistically you would get a bad one here or there. Have you had any bad reviews and, and what'd you do about it? Well, typically we have 550 plus, uh, but uh, I've had one bad review in my entire career and it only went on Yelp and it got filtered. So I, was, I didn't do anything. And I remember when it first hit, I was like super angry, like most people would be, right? Because I, I was 100% wrong. This lady like blamed me for a lawsuit. Uh, somebody stole something out of her unit that she placed in there and she filed a police report and the police found out that she actually made it up for an insurance scam. And they were like filing a complaint against her for like falsely like, you know, like making up stuff. So she was like in trouble with the law. But my review was still on Yelp and they can't just take it down. So I wanted to like explain myself that like this review is actually she may go to jail for this, you know? Um, and then I was just like, you know what? I, you have 500 and so on plus good reviews, right? Like it almost looks good to have one, right? Cause the way I looked at it is cause you gotta be human, right? Everybody makes mistakes in life. So maybe if it just stays, it actually might get me more business in the back end, right? Because people are gonna be like, you know what? He's one of the only guys, he does have this one bad review, but there's, you know, like four, 550 plus that are good. So I, I didn't respond and I had a huge paragraph written like defending myself and like I reread it. I sent it to like other people to make sure like it was like worded right. And then honestly, I just deleted it. And I mean, I filtered itself out, but I kind of came to grips that, you know what, having a couple bad reviews and if, I'm sure at some point in my life, one's going to happen again. You know, it's just part of life. You know, you can't, I'm sure at some point I'll probably slip up and make a mistake that probably deserves a bad review because like I said, we're only human. I mean, and you got to roll with the punches. You know, if somebody asked me, I'd be like, yeah, I, I messed up there. It's my, my fault, right? It's pretty hard to be mad at somebody if you admit when, you, when you're wrong, right? It, it kind of ends the argument. Like, you know, you messed up on this. I can't believe you did this. Like, are you an idiot? Like, in that end, that, you know, instant, yeah, I was an idiot. I messed up. I, I was rushed. And, and, I'm, and I'm sorry. You know, it, you can't keep yelling at somebody if, if you, <laughs> you admit defeat, right? So um, that's what I would do if I did get another bad review. I would just, you know, say if, if it was warranted of it, and even if it wasn't, I mean, nobody wants to hear somebody argue about why they're not, you know, it was wrong. You know, you just look like a baby then. So you just roll with it. Do you have a preference where they do their review, whether it goes on Yelp or another site? 
Yelp, Zillow, uh, who's now I'm big on. I want to get on more, you know, because we only got like 20 something on there. Uh, Facebook. Uh, I mean, honestly, I have like six or seven I, I ask you to do them on. Okay, so you just give them a couple different links and say, please post it on one of these? On all of these, not one, all of these. Okay, so you ask them to put it on all of them, maybe a little uh, cut and paste? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that you got really big into buying the zip codes with Zillow early, but you also made it sound like that was kind of on the way out. What do you see as the next big thing? I mean, honestly, I don't want to answer that question because we're just now buying into it a lot, and I have in the last couple of years. But what I'm what I'm doing now is where everybody will be going. I mean, I I hate to kind of toot my own horn, but I do think that we see we've started a lot of the trends, or at least have perfected a lot of the trends that everybody uses now, right? So like the Zillow truly a zip code buying. Uh, I was a, one of the first people I've ever seen on the internet and on social media that like we did the just close pictures and we put the. Uh, the picture, uh, the building behind it. And when we write on it, like we were like the first people to do that. Like now everybody copied off us on that. I was the first person to start doing neighborhood tours with video point drive presentations, you know, now point drive just got bought up by LinkedIn. Okay. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we've done that then everybody else kind of catches on to it. So it's like, I don't want to give away all my stuff that we're doing now because I'd rather just continue with what we're at. And by the time everybody else figures out, we're already, we'll already own that type of marketing and, then I could talk about it. Do you have any warnings for people listening that, you know, you really shouldn't go down this path? I feel like the Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com leads are kind of like now watered down. You know, I, I remember I'm spending like triple what I'm spending today than what I was spending like last year. And I'm actually getting a third of the leads I was getting previously. Right. But I, I, I'm so embedded in it that it makes sense for me. Right. So, but what I would tell some people is like, pay attention to what you are advertising in because some of these things are just really hyped up, right? Because now, now it's like new realtors get in the business. Like, Oh, you got to buy a zip code. Like it's just part of your business. Right. And it's like, kind of like, well, is it part of your business? Like, are you comfortable cold calling people? Are you comfortable living next to your phone? Cause if you don't answer that person in five seconds, somebody else will. And if you don't have a good enough profile or enough sales on there, it almost doesn't even make sense to advertise on those things. Right. And the second thing is, is that if you're going to do some sort of internet thing, do one and do it right. Don't try to go on 10 different websites up front. Do one first. Own it. Become the master of it. Be the biggest person in the world at that particular thing. And once you kind of conquer that, where it's like so far conquered, you can't even describe it anymore, then you make your move and invade the next little country there and do it that way. And do it one by one by one by one. Too many people try to be like, oh, I'm getting real estate. I'm going to throw my you know, hat and ring in this and on that one. And then Ooh, that looks cool too. I'm going to throw some money at that. And then you're like, I'm not seeing a return. So I'm going to pull all my money out. So that was stupid because you tried doing like eight different things at once. Do one, do it right, perfect it, own it, be the master, and then move on to the next. These internet leads that you're receiving, are they mainly buyer leads or seller leads? I get them both now. I mean, when you first start, it's mostly buyers. And a lot of people don't like working with buyers. I don't know why. But I mean, you know, a buyer's worth, you know, if they buy a $400,000 place, it's worth just as much as, a, you know, if you're listing too, you know? So, I mean, I, I get it. Some listers charge a little bit more money, but in, in, at the end of the day, it's very this, much the same. You know, I guess the reason why the, the reality of this is, is that I feel that buyers may require more work for the average realtor. And most realtors are ridiculously lazy. So they don't like working with buyers as much. And that's the 1000% true. Let's talk about each one. If you don't mind, just kind of walking us through 
what would happen is one of these leads came in. So let's start with a buyer. First of all, why would the buyer come into your system? And then secondly, how would they flow through your system and then become a transaction? So how would they get in? You know, what were they attracted by? What call to action did you have? You know, why did they come in? And then how did they start flowing through? I mean, most buyers are going to come to us through, you know, some sort of website they've seen us on and or it's just some random lead, right? Because all those websites nowadays, it's like you click on like some property, you know, your information goes to some realtor like myself, right? And then we would contact them. So that's, that's just kind of how we work. And the same thing with the sellers. Sellers, sellers aren't contacting you on property. So, so just sticking to buyers solely, they usually click on some random thing and I just get their information. And then we just put them in our system from there of how we work it. Uh, I'm not going to divulge all my secrets of exactly how we completely con- you know, uh, convert them, but the reality of the situation is, is you have to be, if you're going to be buying into zip codes, you have to be a likable person. Okay. And you have to be good at conversation and you have to be a non-salesman. That's it. Those are your three things I would have to say. Uh, most realtors are very salesy people. Uh, they teach you to try to like really sell people on stuff. And I personally believe that nobody likes to be sold to. That's my personal opinion. Now, uh, not everybody agrees with me. In fact, very few agree with me, but I just don't like walking into a store and three people telling me like, you know, did I find what I was looking for? Because by the fourth time somebody comes up to me, I'm leaving that store, right? And I feel like that's how most people work leads is that they just try to sell them so much and stuff that at the end of the day, people are like, oh my God, like enough. Like, I just want to be talked to like a normal person, et cetera. So and that's, how we, that's how we work our business. So how do you do that? You contact a lead, the lead has come in. How are you talking to them without offering them any services? I offer them services in, in a different way. I'm not like saying like, hey, let's go meet at the property. I'll show it to you right now, right? Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's buy this. What else are you looking for? Let's, let's buy that one too. Like, I feel like that's how most people talk to people because I see it too. Uh, I more say, I almost try to talk you out of seeing the place you want to see right then and there because <clears throat> at least in my career, no, I shouldn't say ever, but like only one or two times in my entire career have I ever like, got a call, met the person at the place, and then they bought that, per- that place right there on the spot, right? It's happened like once or twice. Most times than not, you're going to look at a few places. So I try to show them what value I can bring as a realtor, right? I don't try to sell them on that place. I don't try to sell them on other places. I just try to let them know that if they're looking to you know, work with somebody, I look at myself more like a financial advisor, right? I'm here to guide you through the process, make sure you make a smart decision because at the end of the day, this is an investment, you know, you're not looking to take $5 and turn it into $0. So if you're trying to work with somebody who's going to actually explain you the process, show you the perks of what there is, we'll show you some cool tech tools, and not something that you'd love to work with, we could talk further about it, you know? And that's kind of how I take it. I mean, not verbatim, but in a nutshell, that's how we work it. You say talk further about it. Does that mean you're going to invite them into the office and chat with them about what their goals are? Not the office. I like to do a public place. I usually like to meet for coffee. Because it's, yeah, I don't know. I feel like you invite somebody in their office. It's kind of intimidating. And then they just, people just know that they're going to get sold and talked to for the next 45 minutes. And I, most people dread getting talked to. You know, we're, we're in an individualistic society nowadays. And to know that you're going into a meeting to just get like badgered with, most people are going to be like kind of off put at it. You bring them to a nice inviting place. Where there's other people there than in a place that they know. Uh, they're going to feel a little bit more relaxed. And, you know, you have a conversation. During that conversation, what kind of things are you going to be talking about so you don't come across salesy? 
I mean, I have a buyer's presentation and a, and a, and a, a seller's presentation, right? And I call them more like pitches, right? So I'm going to sit down with you. I'm going to kind of pitch you through the process, what, what to expect. I'm not selling you on myself. I'm not selling you on, you know, how awesome I am. I'm selling you on what you can expect if you're looking to buy. And if it's on the sell side, what you can expect when you're looking to sell. Terminology, stuff like that. If they're like someone who's bought like 100 places, I show them some of the stuff that we could do to make their life easier. And that's it. I try to keep it always under 15 or 20 minutes. Tops. Tops. With them talking back and forth. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Is your objective with a buyer, do you do buyer agency? Is your goal to hire, have them hire you as a buyer agent, kind of like as a consultant? Or do you do buyer agency? I don't do buyer. I mean, I, I, I represent a lot of buyers. In fact, I represent more buyers than do sellers, but I don't make anybody ever sign a contract in a, in a buyer agency. I don't believe in it. I don't like being held down by contracts. I don't want anybody else to be held down by a contract. Simple handshake. You want to work with me. You trust me. We work together. You know, uh, otherwise, you know, if something happens throughout the process and we're still talking, all I ever ask them to do is just give me a shout. Let me know that, hey, they found something else. We're working with somebody else. And that way I'm not wasting my time and I'm not bothering them either. One of the things with internet leads is the conversion percentage. You talked about the speed of getting back in touch with people to try to improve on that. If 100 internet leads were to come into your business, they were buyer leads, how many of those 100 would end up going all the way through with you to a closing? Uh, probably like 65, 70, maybe. Wow. That's really amazing. 65 to 75% are going all the way from, they come in as a lead to closing with you. Correct. I would say, let me rephrase that. I would say if it's a, a, like an actual lead, not like one of these, you, you do get some leads that's like on a parking space or it's on like, uh, the person accidentally clicked the button and is like automatically says, dude, I didn't mean to do that. I'm already working with somebody, et cetera. But if, if it's an actual, like just a cold lead, they call it on a property, then yeah, 65-70%. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. And do you, do you know what your, your typical gestation period is from the time they come in to the time you're actually working with them? Are you doing a lot of, say, drip emails or drip communications to, to stay with them? And what is that period of time? I mean, I have hot buyers, browsing buyers, and long-term buyers, right? At any given time, I usually have like 200 hot buyers, uh, you know, like maybe a couple hundred browsing and then like, you know, even more like long-term people who are like, eh, maybe I'll buy someday. Love to be kept in the loop. I follow with them once a week. Are you trying to make phone calls to them once a week? Are you doing emails? Uh, how are you staying in touch? Just email. So you got a drip email going? It's not a drip email. It's a, 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 per, it's a personalized email. I don't believe in drip email campaigns. I think, I think they're a waste. So you're writing the individual email each time to all these folks each week? Correct. Then you must have really learned a lot of uh, ways that do and don't work when you're making those emails to them. For instance, are longer emails or shorter emails better? Short and sweet. Short and sweet. Do you do conversational or informational? A little bit of both. You know, it, It's just kind of like a short email, checking in, 
making sure there's nothing they need, maybe provide like an article or two you read, something like that, you know, really short and sweet. It's personalized though. So it's not like you can tell a mass email. I mean, it's, I mean, email is so advanced nowadays. It's, you know, you know, if you have Gmail, you can actually tell how many people they sent it to if it's a bad video. I mean, there's, you know what I mean? Like people aren't stupid. So you got to try to personalize it. You got to try to make it short and sweet because, you know, people have the attention span of a goldfish. So that's it. Just, you know, and I set that expectation up front though with my buyers. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to check in with you once a week. Don't feel the need to like respond back to me. It's just me checking in. So you know, I'm here for you. Okay. And that's it. So now I've set that expectation that they know I'm going to check in once a week. So it's not like spam. Right. So it's not just like random emails come once a week. And then, you know, I provide some decent content to them and they know I'm here for them. And then, you know, sometimes, you know, you get the buyers who are just like starting out and they need like a really long time to buy. And then if you have a hot buyer that's going to buy within three months or less, you know, it's just an easy way to make sure that they don't go somewhere else. Are you sending them any listings, any types of properties to these buyers, or is it again, more conversational and informational in the market in general? Our MLS is called MRED. It's, I think it's like one of the most advanced MLSs in the country from what I've told, been told through the grapevine. How true that is, I have no idea. But, we, you know, we put them on a search of the MLS, which is just, it's, our MLS is ridiculous, like ridiculously awesome. So that's always going to be there no matter what. So that, you know, properties stay in front of their face. Because, you know, the other thing is, is, I'm sure people have told you this, but like a lot of those websites are super inaccurate. So at least the MLS is super accurate. The little conversational ones that you send out, are you saying things like, hey, you want to go look at a home this weekend? Or have you seen anything you like? What kind of things are you saying to them? More like, hey, what's up? How's your weekend? Because I always send them on Mondays. You know, uh, do you have any questions on anything? You know, here's a couple of cool articles I read this week that pertain to kind of like what's happening around you. Uh, if you need anything, just give me a shout. You know, something like that. I mean, not verbatim again, but like, you know, something short and sweet. I'm not going to say like, I don't like to beat down to Mr. and say like, Hey, you want to see something? You want to see something? Can I help you? Like, I, I just don't feel like people like that, you know? And I could be wrong. And maybe it works for other people. I'm just saying, I, I personally just, we've had a lot of success kind of being more, you know, showing our, our value, uh, helping them out, but also not breathing down people's necks. It sounds like a message that you would send to one of your friends. Exactly. I, I'm very like, uh, I run my business like a business, but I'm also like very approachable, I would say. Are most of your clients and customers that you're working with, are they from your generation? Are, are they used to this type of conversation and communication? Or are you pulling in people from all walks of life? All walks of life and all different cultures. I mean, 35% of my business is international. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't even know anything about America. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't even speak English. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, to be honest with you, I'm authentic. I, I guess that's the best way to put it. I'm, I'm just an authentic, real person. Uh, I feel like a lot of people try to be somebody that they're not, or they try to like put on their, their salesy, cheesy face, and when they go home, they're somebody different, you know? Um, I'm just, I am who I am. And I, and I call it how I see it, and I, I act the way I, I act on a normal basis with people, and I don't hide things or not tell the truth about stuff. I'm just an authentic, honest person. That's kind of, I think it comes across in the way I handle myself in business. Well, I assume that you're doing a lot of internet work, been doing this for quite a while. You probably have your numbers down really well. Do you have numbers for what's been happening here with your cost per lead and your cost per sale with these internet leads? Honestly, I, I, I don't. We started doing that this year as the first time I ever was like, let's see how much we're spending and how much we're getting back. This was the very first year we've ever done it. 
And I, I've kind of seen it's around like three or $400, depending on which avenue per lead. And most people would be like, that sounds really high. But my dad always told me the greatest thing I'll ever hear in my entire life. And it's, I'd rather go to the bank pissed off than not go at all. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, some people, most realtors, I like to say, have T-Rex arms, right? And what does that mean? It means that, like, you find out something's going to cost you money. And the minute you find out something costs you money, you kind of, like, move your arms back, right? Like a T-Rex. Like, ooh, I don't know if I want to spend that. But the reality of life is, just like any business, if you want to make money, you got to spend money. And I don't care if this lead cost me a thousand bucks a lead, if I still made three thousand off it, because that means I'm making two thousand dollars profit. You know, so nothing comes in, you know easy in life, and nothing's gonna be cheap in life. That's good. And as you mentioned, if you're paying three or four hundred dollars per lead, but you have it dialed in that they're very high quality leads. Uh, for instance, you said you're closing sixty five percent, which is a, a monster rate, and most internet leads is probably somewhere around one percent. So, if you figure that out so that they're much higher quality, it's worth paying more for them. Uh, absolutely, that's that's uh, that's exactly correct. So, Matt, let me ask you this: If there's someone listening and they want to get into the internet lead game and they haven't done it before, where's the best place for them to start? Honestly, each market is different. Okay. And I've, I've actually studied this. I've hired a girl to see like how people browse on different sites across the country because you could, you could buy that information out of this. I would find out whichever is the most popular in your market of where like people browse more, whether it be like Zillow and Trulia or some, you know, some states are realtor.com, some states are homes.com, you know, you know, find whichever one's the best and get into the market that you want to be in on that and own it. And that's it. You know, put all your money into one basket. That's how I would do it for an internet lead basis. Let's talk about your other source of business, which is your repeats and referrals from your existing base. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? About 1,400. Do you have a, an approximate breakout of how many of those are past client versus how many of those are sphere of influence? About 950-ish are past clients, and then the rest is the sphere. Who goes into this database? Past clients is pretty simple. How about your sphere of influence? How do you decide who's going to actually go into the database? The sphere of influence just kind of came from people that we talked with and then end up never buying or selling. You know, like sometimes things in life change, a divorce, a death, whatever, you know? So I kind of add those people also to, to my, you know, sphere of influence. Although most people kind of customize sphere of influence as like friends or family, so it's a mix of friends, family, like friends of friends, you know, they're like, you know, like always asking advice and stuff like that. And then people who we've talked to that ended up never pulling the trigger on anything, but will someday. That's who I consider my sphere of influence. So, and I lump them all in the same little database that I work off of. And you treat them all the same then in that database? Yep. Do you ever remove people out of that database? And if so, why? I mean, once... You know, we send, you know, for, cause I know you're going to have like, what do we do to follow up and stuff like that? Right. So like we do, we do quarterly cards. Okay. Uh, like just cards. Um, and then we do monthly newsletters. Okay. And if it's like a special event or something like that, that we're throwing, we'll, we'll, we'll send that on top of it. But that's really the only way we work it. And probably once a month, somebody will remove themselves from it. I would say. Okay. So they may unsubscribe from your list. Yeah, you got an unsubscribe button on there. Yeah, so it's rare. Or somebody, like, maybe not tech savvy and doesn't know where the unsubscribe button is and is like, hey, Matt, love you, but we want to, uh, we just don't care to get emails from you. 
you know, that's like a family member will say that. And then occasionally you'll get the, the one person they said, like, you know, like said they'd buy someday, but, you know, who knows when they will. You know, they're like, hey, dude, yeah, never email me again. <laughs> you know, so like those are the, the, the no BS, non, nonchalant people that just don't want to be part of it. So, yeah, I mean, just like everybody else, you get a couple of those, uh, but at least probably 12 of those a year where people are like, dude, get, never email me again, go die. You know, like, yeah, that happens. How do you track your database? Are, do you have use certain software to keep all these people in, these 1,400 people? So we did contactually. So stupid. Um, I keep trying CRMs. I think they're a waste of money, personally. I, I do. And I keep trying because it's kind of like people like yourselves and other people are like, well, you got to use these CRMs. You got you to stay on top of these people. And it's like my, my personal theory, and this is going to be non-PC, I think all that stuff's a waste of money. I, I think... CRMs were built for people who are unorganized and just don't remember when they should follow up with people. That's the reality. That's, that's what I believe. Cause I, I keep using these things and like, it's so unorganized. These things don't make sense. Or you have to like only do blanket emails, right. And mass send them out. And then if you want to customize them, it takes like forever. So honestly, we, we base everything off Google. I, I, what I do is I take all my people cause we have them like all in like one Excel spreadsheet or I have them in a few different places just in case like one format crashed. Uh, and I export it to a Google Doc, and boom, one by one, we just send them out. So every quarter, every quarter, we send an email, and I just go right through the Google Doc, and I change the color as we freaking knock them out. And that's it. It's tedious, yes, but honestly, I, I've tried all the different ways over 10 years. I've tried all the hot, cool CRMs, and every single time, I'm like, this is so stupid. I know the other one takes like an extra two days to do it, but it, you know what? It, it, the response rate, because we send out quarterly emails too, the response rate is like literally like quadruple when we just regularly send out an email. It sucks. I, 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 I agree, but that's what we have admins for. Uh, and you know, it drives them nuts. And I always tell them like, you know, they'll be drinking extra coffee for the next four days while you do these. But at the end of the day, those work way better than any CRM. And you've noticed that you'll get a high response rate or open rate much higher than you would see in a, a some type of autoresponder situation that's sending out mass emails, blasting them out there. It's not even close. It's like not even comparable to the difference. Like, I mean, you get so many more. If I send out 10 with like a CRM, like auto blanket email, I might get like one response. I send out the personal one, we get seven or eight back. Like literally, it's, it's nuts. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just do it the tedious way. They look so much more personalized. They look like they're coming directly from you. They are. <laughs> because they are. I mean, I might not be 100% <laughs> writing them word for word, but I mean, we are copy pasting the email and then plugging in what we're going to say. And it's, it, it works. It sucks. And that's why people don't do it because it's tedious. You know, that's it. Well, you've just created a system to make it work. You, you know that it has a high response and you're willing to take the time to do it. Just like you're willing to pay three or $400 per lead because you know that 65% are going to end up closing. So you've just created a system that works. And that's all I want to know about is what's actually working. So this is great. You said that the things that you do are a quarterly card, monthly newsletter, and special events. Let's talk about each. That quarterly card, is. did you say that's going out by email? And if so, what's on it? Uh, the quarterly card is an actual card. So it's the only paper advertising I'll ever do. It's an, it's an actual card. And it's usually like a group picture of us. If you ever look me up online, we have cool group photos. And they look good. So we do, every quarter we change our, our group photo. So we do a group photo on the on the the front part, you open up the flap and the inside flap is always some sort of like awards we won that quarter or something big that's going on. And then 
And the, the main text is just me checking in, saying, hey, what's up? Hopefully all's well. And we, we're really big on video. So we do, I mean, we have a pro- professional production company that does videos monthly. And I usually do the one I did, like the best one we did in the last quarter. And I'll be like, hey, don't forget to check out our YouTube link. And I'll put that in there. And that's it. It's like two sentences. Are you hand signing those or uh, how, how's that happening? You said there's a little note in there. No hand signature. It is a digital signature that looks almost like hand. You have to be pretty good to know it's not by hand, but I think most people know I'm not hand signing it. And then you also said you have a monthly newsletter. Is that going out by email or is, or is that going out by hard copy also? That's an email. We use MailChimp and uh, my marketing girl does that. She creates them from scratch. So you're not using a template. You're putting together your own. What kind of information do you have in that newsletter? Our monthly video is the main thing always. We pick a different topic every month. So like, for example, this month is why, why rent you can buy, right? And uh, I suggest you look me up on YouTube and look at some of our videos because they're awesome. Um, and uh, it's a couple of shots of us giving some pertinent information about like why you would want to, you know, rent when you could buy. And it's like maybe 30 seconds of information and videos we try to keep under a minute. And it's mostly shots of just the city and people walking around and areas that we're at pertaining to what we're talking about. So they're, they're just really cool. So the first part is like a big screenshot of probably the best looking part of the video with a big play button on it. And then underneath it, we label what the topic is. And then we usually put some cool articles that regard to the video topic this month. Quick stats of what's um, been happening in the market, maybe one, two graphs tops, and then maybe some cool listings that we had that month. And that's it. Short and sweet. They look very, very pretty. Aesthetically pleasing sex sells in real estate, right? So if the thing looks really pretty, people are going to like it, click it. We have an 88% open ratio on our newsletters. So that's because they look good. Very good. So that's going out to them monthly. And then you also mentioned special events. What kind of events are you doing? Once or twice a year, I sit on the Make-A-Wish board for Illinois. I'm on the exec committee. And I always sponsor our two big events of the year. Uh, and I invite my clientele to be there because we grant a couple wishes a year. You know, one wish costs $6,000. So we spend much, much more than that to sponsor the events. And we encourage our clients to come there. And every Christmas, I give back to my clients a wish to the kids. So I grant a kid's wish on behalf of my clients every year. So instead of, that's what our Christmas card is always based around is uh, we pick a kid's wish and we grant it. And then we build their Christmas card around the kid's wish and they could see whose kid's dreams they helped, you know, came through that Christmas. And it was because of their support that we were able to grant their wish. So we have big events where we raise like, you know, 600 or 60 to a hundred thousand or so. Last year we raised about 150 at our last event. And it wasn't just us by any means, you know, it's the, the whole make a wish committee that did it. Uh, but you know, we're always the, the head sponsor for it. And we just invite our clients to come to those events. So you said these videos are really popular. What gave you the idea to put together these videos? I think everybody knows video is not the way of the future. It is the future at this point. If you don't know that, you're, you're super behind. But when I first got in, even like in 2010, you can see my YouTube page. You, you can actually see the way I've evolved with video, right? My very first video ever, some people are like, you should take it down now because it's embarrassing. But I'm like, it shows you <laughs> where we started. And I kind of like it. You know, I think it was in like 10 or 11 that I had the first one. It's me at my computer with the, the uh, talking to the computer, right? And now when you look at it, you're like, oh my God, is that embarrassing, right? But back then in 2010, 11, like nobody, nobody was using video. You know what I mean? Like it was like video, what? 
like people use mobile, like you're on your, because remember it wasn't until like 2010, 11 people didn't have the flip phone anymore, you know? So uh, it's easy now to look at and say it's stupid, but like then it was kind of innovative. So over time, then we started paying like, uh, you know, doing on DSL cameras and stuff like that and video them on there. And then they, they looked okay. And then we started, you know, editing them. And I'm like, dude, we got to take this to the next level. So we hired, I hired a legit company and yeah, our monthly videos are stupidly expensive, but they look cool. And then I started doing neighborhood videos. I mean, check out our neighborhood videos. Our neighborhood videos are ridiculous. Like, I was sick and tired of somebody saying, what's the difference between River North, Streeterville, Gold Coast, Old Town, right? I mean, if I got one more little question to that, I'd, I'd blow my brains out. So I hired them to do neighborhood videos. And now everybody's starting to do these because, you know, they saw our stuff. But we were the first people to do it. So when people, it's not like, I'm not going to tell you about the neighborhood. Just, you know, watch the video. It'll show you. You know, it's got the boundaries on there. It shows you what, you know, what it looks like to live in that neighborhood. A minute long again, maybe a minute ten. And, uh, you know, it gives you a good idea. So... Uh, I guess what made me want to do it is just, I know it's a way of the future, but again, sex sells, right? So things that look good and appealing and like look really cool, you're more prone to watch too. You know, somebody shooting on their iPhone isn't as cool as like watching like a whole production company shoot a video. And nobody wants to see somebody talking to a camera. You know what I mean? Like as much as it, you, you like yourself and uh, you know, I'm a vain person like the rest of us, but nobody wants to see that uh, cool skyscrapers, you know, walking through the neighborhood, seeing what it's like, you know, the, the fountain going off over the river, like with a boat going underneath. And then you do a quick two second pitch while it's gone. I mean, that's what looks cool. So, I mean, I, I feel like I have a knack for helping out guiding our video people and making sure these things kind of look better. So, but again, I mean, it comes across. I, mean, I, I, I definitely recommend you check out our, our, our page to kind of see what I'm talking about. I noticed that a photo that you sent me was you and your team. You were all dressed up. You looked real snazzy, very modern. You had like several poses, looked very professional. Is that something that you do with the videos too? Is it you and your team, say, walking around in these neighborhoods or these areas or pointing out these ideas and concepts? Always, always. Everybody's always, like in the videos, ever since we started doing the high production videos, it's always the whole group. And like, like kind of like that picture, I told you we do cool group pictures like every quarter, you know? Uh, we're a very professional company. I mean, all, all my guys have to be in a suit and tie at all times. Girls always have to be nicely dressed. I mean, it's just, you know, we take it like a business. You can't walk in and be an executive, you know, CEO at a bank and walk in, in you know, cargo shorts and a t-shirt. It's just not going to happen. So I, you know, real estate's the only profession where people could just dress wherever they want and anything goes. So we just, we try, we hold ourselves to a higher caliber. By being in these pictures and being in these videos, you and your team become a celebrity. A lot of people say that, to be honest with you. And yes, I'm, I, I like to kind of carry ourselves that way. Yeah. In the video at the end, do you have any kind of call to action? Do you, do you ask them to do anything, to give you a call or send you an email or get a free list of homes or anything like that? Or is it just you're just doing it for production value? You're just getting content out there? It fades out. Uh, and, and usually Mickey closes our videos because he's South African. He's got a cool accent. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it flashes our website on there, like, the, the you know, www.mattlarisagroup.com and that basically. But I mean, I don't really believe in call to actions like that. I, I, again, I, I try to, I think outside the box on this type of stuff, meaning that like a lot of realtors breathe down your throat. Use me, use me, use me, use me. Right. Whereas I like to take the approach, you know what I do, right? Like I carry myself a certain way. You see me all over the place. I'm not going to beg you for business. If you want to get in real estate, you want to ask me questions in real estate, you know, you know where I'm at. You got my number. You, you could find me. I'm very Google my name. It's very easy to find all my information. 
You know, that's the approach I take. And honestly, I feel like it works way better. It's like the same way I live in a high rise. I, I see realtors sit in the lobby all day long trying to like, you know, harass people for business. And, and more times than not, people are always asking me, like, you're always in a suit and tie running around the building. Like, what do you, like, what do, you do for a living? I'm like, oh, I'm in real estate. And I leave it at that. And I, I go back to my phone. And then you want know nine times out of 10. Oh, well, how's the market? Like, what do you do? Like, I, you just seem always busy and stuff. Like, can I ask your opinion on some stuff? I give them a quick opinion, like almost like they're bottom and I walk away. And you know what? Next time I see them, they want more information. I'm not, I, I didn't ask them for anything, right? They asked me. I mean, that's the kind of way I believe in call to action. I mean, I know that's a, a tangent about it, but to me, I feel like that's the best approach. It sounds like the old idea that you're not chasing them. They're going to start chasing you. You're drawing them in as opposed to you going after them. Right. Let's talk about your team. We just brought them up a minute ago in some of the photographs. Could you do me a favor? Could we talk about the team? Three agents total and two assistants, right? So the three agents are, uh, we're like a family, right? So my wife has two sisters. One's married, one's engaged. So both my, my, my brother-in-law and my future brother-in-law work for me, right? And then the other girl, Catherine, uh, my other agent, she's somebody I've known for almost my entire life that I hired her. So they're, they're just brokers, okay? They're just regular brokers. A lot of people have buyer's agents and seller agents. And I feel like when you work on teams, there's a lot of unfair treatment. You don't pay them correctly. You only want them to do buyer's brokers, and then they get sick of that, so they go somewhere else. So I believe that they just run a business like regular and they help me do showings and, and they can help me with buyers and sellers. And they still, I give them leads, right? So I get a cold lead. I forward it on to them. They could work it as they see fit. So they're just kind of like part of a group effort to help me maintain the business we have and grow it. And they also get rewarded with more leads as more they help out. And they're able to work their own business and bring it in and close it underneath the group. So that's kind of the way we work it. I have one admin assistant that does like all of our uh, scheduling and uh, our, you know, like helps us with our farming and, and contracts and stuff like that. And then my other girl, she does solely marketing. She just does all our marketing stuff, websites, newsletters, social media, et cetera. We just run a very uh, lean, but efficient system. You know, I believe in, I always said like you, I want a group of like, you know, green berets, right? The best of the best. They're the best what they could do. They could do a lot, you know, more with less. And that's the system. You know, a lot of people are trying to, and I'm sure you talk to a lot of people right now. They're, they got 40 or 50 people out there on their team. They're doing like, you know, like 60 million. And I just don't think that's too impressive because, you know, per person, it's not, not, not that much business. You know, I tried, I, I only add somebody on if I absolutely have to, where let's, let's just like physically get to a point where it's on, you know, incapable to do it. But I believe as a team, if you're really good at what you could do, you could stretch yourself. You know what I mean? I, I believe life is meant for work, not for pleasure. You know, you get that calendar filled up. You should always be working. If you're at a normal job, nine to five, you're, you're pumping away there. You're not able to sit at the pool for three hours and drink a beer like a lot of realtors do. I mean, you should be working. So that's why our team is so efficient. The majority of stuff is brought in through, through me personally. Uh, my goal is to get them to be able to bring in a lot more, right? Um, so my goal is now to try to continue to help them really build out their businesses. Because right now it's more like uh, probably 75% is just what I brought in and they're, they're personally bringing in the rest. So the goal is to get them to personally bring in more, right? Uh, that's, that's like a big five-year goal of mine is to make sure that like I bring in 50 and they bring in the other 50 because that's, you know, I'm going to do a billion dollars a year and I can't do a billion dollars a year by bringing in 
you know, like 900 million of it on my own. It's just, it's unfortunately, it's physically impossible. So you're still in production. You're still running buyers and sellers around, correct? Oh, I still go out with buyers. People think I'm nuts. I don't care. I, you know, I'll take a $200,000 buyout right this second if they called me up. I'm a hustler. I work. Okay. And that's important to know. A lot of people say, what's the key to success? How do you do this? I work. I don't, I'm not one of these team members that are bringing in this business, but I'm sitting on the beach and ordering everybody around. I'm on the front lines. I'm like Patton. You know what I mean? I'm running into the battle. I ain't running behind it. I'm not telling what everybody else to do, but then like, don't want to do anything. You know, I lead by example. Would you mind disclosing to us what kind of compensation program you put forward for your brokers? Sure. It's, I, I think it's just got to be fair. The, the reality of the situation when it comes to compensation is, is most teams try to base something off of not being fair, okay? You know, a lot of brokers want people to do a ton of stuff for them on their team, but they don't want to pay them for it, right? They talk it up as experience. That's probably the biggest thing I hear about personally that I hear a lot of people say that they don't like their team for uh, I built my team around a different way. And honestly, the reason I did this is not because I talked to anybody else about it. I didn't seek anybody's advice. I just remember when I was starting off, my dad used to make me put up lock boxes and signs and go show stuff for him. And he wouldn't pay me anything. He'd be like, hey, you know, that's just what you get. He'd be like, I can't fill up my gas tank. You're loaning me 20 bucks for gas. And I, I had to drive all around the city. And you want to give me money for it. Like, that doesn't really necessarily seem fair to me, you know? So when I started a team, I thought to myself, if somebody's going to show a property for them, they should get paid for it, right? So I came up with, I call it an a la carte menu, right? So if they do a certain job, they know what they're going to get paid for it, and they put it on like a little, we have a, a Google Doc spreadsheet, and every two weeks, uh, they get compensated for the work that they did. And that's it. So they get that, and they get whatever commission they get. So that's kind of like how the agents are paid for doing work. Um, and then, of course, they're on splits for any commissions. You know, and I, I like to say that I pay them a very fair percentage for what the business they bring in. Do you mind telling us what that percentage is? Uh, I prefer not to on that one. Are you profitable? Oh my God. Yeah. Would you mind disclosing to us what your profit margin is? Honestly, I know what I spend and I know what I make. I don't know percentage wise, but I mean, we're talking uh, seven figure profit, you know? Um, so it's, we do very well. I, I'll just put it at that. Um, you know, I think it's about, you, you, you invest wisely, like in anything, uh, and it, it pays off you know, very fruitfully, you know? Let me ask you this, Matt, what drives you? I, I guess I'm built a little bit differently. I, I've always, I just always woke up driven. Like I can't wait to go to bed in the morning. I, I can't wait to wake up the next day. Like I sleep four hours a night, like clockwork. You know, I usually sleep two 30 to, to six 30 every day. Uh, and, and, and that's seven days a week. And that if I sleep more than six hours, I'm very crabby to be around. And, it, and it's mostly because I just feel like a waste of time. You know, like I, I literally can't wait to wake up, uh, in the morning. And I don't know what it is. I'm just naturally driven person. Like I've, I've just always aspired to be the absolute best I could be, but not just like what I could be, but whatever the best in the world is. So if somebody's doing a billion dollars in business a year, I aspire to do $2 billion a year. Uh, and I'm not one of these people that say that they talk a big game and say like they want to do it, but don't want to work for it. I, I genuinely like to work. I don't like to sit around a pool or, or relax in front of the TV. Like I like to work and I don't, it doesn't bother me if I have to work 20 hours straight or maybe I can't sleep one night cause I just have too much to do. 
I don't get annoyed by it. I don't get burnt out. It, it, it's just something inside of me. I guess I've always wanted to prove myself for whatever reason to, to, to show that I could be the best. And it's just kind of how I've been wired my whole life. Well, Matt, if you're going to advise a brand new agent just getting into business, what would you tell them to do first? Information is everything, right? So, so it's the old saying in the 80s, knowledge is power. Uh, I would learn everything I could. I, I, I remember, like, when we were talking about in the beginning of this interview, you were asking, like, uh, you know, did you, have, did you start off strong? And I said, no, I started off bad. But I, I, all I did was learn, you know, and I, we didn't touch on this that much, but, like, I, I just, I remember I would, I would get in the office at 6 a.m. and I'd leave at midnight because uh, my dad wouldn't come in the office so late and I'd just share how he talked on the phone. I would ask him questions. I would, I would watch every webinar there was. I read every single book there was on real estate. I, I did everything I could to find out information about when. When I had nothing downtown, I would get, I would get downtown in the morning at six, seven o'clock in the morning, and I would walk the neighborhoods, okay? Because I didn't know what they were, so I'd park my car and I walk the neighborhoods and I go into the buildings. I interview the doorman and say, "Hey, what do you know about this building? What can I do?" And I had a little map and a list, and I'd mark it off my list and I'd say, "Know that." And I'd be like, "Hey, if I could come in the building and look around, that'd be great. Here's a business card, right? Then that way I can know the building. So I, I know every single building in the city of Chicago because of that. So, so for three years, I didn't make any money. I mean, I'm, you know, I had a couple sales here and there, but like. I didn't focus on making money then. I figured, hey, it was a crap economy. I'm a young kid. Uh, if I can learn every single thing there is, when the market turns, I'll be the most knowledgeable person in the world, right? And I feel almost bad for people getting in the market today because I wouldn't focus on the sales aspect. I would focus on the information aspect. If you learn everything and you become the expert, the go-to guy that, like, you could go to him, call him up, and, like, ask his advice, and they know it, that's worth a thousand times more than a couple quick sales right now. And I feel like the bad thing is that people getting in the business now is right now it looks easy. And I don't care what market you're in across the country. The, the economy overall for real estate is, is high. Okay. It, it's very good. Most markets, more of a seller's market. So it means more sales are happening, but you know, these things run in cycles. The market gets a little soft and that's why when the market gets soft, all these people drop out of it. So what you can do now is you should focus on getting as much information you can become the expert. Even if you got to make it zero and, and eat ramen noodles for the next two years, that will benefit you and pay off in spades way more than just trying to get a couple quick sales, never truly learning the business, and just kind of going through the motions. Because when the market gets tough, you're just going to be a guy who had a couple quick years of success, and that's why we say, hey, what was your best year of real estate? That's why there's always these big pendulum swings. I never understood that. Why, why is one year somebody doing $100 million, next year they do $20 million? Like, oh, bad economy. Well, if you look at the real big hitters, they're always really, really high. Their dip is like maybe like a 5% dip at that. So they run their business the right way. Learn the knowledge and you'll succeed the best. Well, Matt, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Um, semi, I guess. Um, you know, I, I think for newer agents, again, like I was just saying, the more knowledge they can learn, the better. I think for more experienced agents, I, I feel that uh, this isn't probably the best way to put it, but this is my personal belief. It's just, I just feel like you should know if you've been doing it for, for over five years, what works and what doesn't work for you. Uh, I feel like you should wake up motivated and that you shouldn't need somebody to constantly tell you how to do your business. You should figure out how the business works for you. And I think that's a problem is that a lot of people don't try to solely figure out like how the business works for them. They're always seeking like the secrets, right? Or like, you know, what's everybody else doing? And then let me try to replicate that. And I feel like that's the backwards way to go about it. I feel like the best way to go about it is like, you know, pick up, you know, if you need a couple pieces of advice from somebody here and there, that's fully normal, but like 
too many realtors try to find that there's some secret hidden door that has all the information that they need. Uh, I, I just think that's, that's not the best way to go about it. Well, Matt, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? I think that you get what you put into this business, you know, and if, if you work really hard at it and you generally have a passion for it, people will pick up on that and they'll, they'll respect of what you're trying to build and that's what will make you successful. And, and, the, and the last few advice I could say, I mean, I, these are sayings that, that have been around forever, but I, I feel like they hold really true in real estate and that's, that's Rome isn't built overnight. And the saying of that is that too many people nowadays have that instant gratification, right? So if, if you don't instantly become successful or, or you, you have to work a little bit hard at it, you kind of give up right away. But, you know, it's just like Rome wasn't built overnight. You, you have to really work at it. And the more you stick with it, it'll pay off. And I feel like if you, if you kind of always have that mentality in this business more than anything, it's going to pay off the best. Well, Matt, real estate has paid off for you and your team. You were persistent through the early lean years. You educated yourself and stayed dedicated. What most people saw as spinning wheels, you saw as building knowledge and a foundation for your future success. You spotted early internet marketing trends, invested heavily, and went for broke. You developed your style of personalized emails and friendly follow-up. You positioned yourself with high-end marketing photos and videos. You invested heavily in your brand, reinvested your profits, and put in long hours to build a powerhouse team. I think you have a good chance of reaching your billion-dollar year. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who adjusted to his new market and sold 297 homes last year. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.